don't know the difference between vision and eyesight, then you will by the end of today's episode of the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. Holistic optometrist Dr. Sam Byrne is our guest heretic this week, and he'll teach us how vision can be improved with nutrition, lifestyle, sunlight, and exercise. Plus, he'll discuss the role of vision in conditions like ADHD and answer a listener's question about glaucoma. Coming up next. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. If you're still confused about what to eat and not getting the results you thought you'd get by going organic, go to nutritionheretic.com and download the shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague for free. The shit list details what health food companies want you to believe about the crap they peddle and why the real foods they're meant to replace are far better. Stop letting big health food dump all over you and download the shit list today. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. (laughs) It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Aloha and welcome to the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. This is Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. And today, as you know, uh, all of our guests seem to um, stem from something that happened in my life. And when I was about 10 years old, actually nine years old, uh, my eyes started to go bad. And uh, luckily, I lived in New York City and my, my parents actually worked uh, in... Uh, on 23rd Street, actually in the subway, my my dad owned a jewelry store, and about three blocks away was the New York uh, Optometry School. My mom took me there for glasses, but because of my age, one of the things that they did is they gave me uh, eye strengthening exercises that I could do. One year later, I was free of glasses, and I didn't need them again until I took a job. Uh, in my twenties, in my early twenties, I took, well, first of all, I wasn't eating very well. I can, you know, college kids and all that stuff. So, um, but also it was just, I thought I was doing the right thing. I was actually doing the food pyramid, but my eyes got worse. Uh, I was working under a lot of fluorescent light uh, throughout the day and I was only on the third floor facing Grand Central Station. So you can imagine that, you know, that light was, was fine. Interestingly enough, uh, before that job, I worked on the 26th floor uh, overlooking the Hudson, and my eyes were fine because we got so much natural light. At, at least that's what I attribute it to. Because of the, my history with the eye exercises, I was reluctant to wear my glasses all the time. Um, you know, the, the eye doctor told me I should wear them all the time. Uh, I only wore them when I needed them. And because for one thing, they actually kind of hurt my face uh, to have them on all the time. But I think that they also strained my eyes and they didn't. I, I want to say that they made my eyes feel lazier. And uh, today's expert is going to talk to us uh, about that. Um, and then all these years, you know, I 
have been using my glasses just for driving and important things like that uh, until my daughter stepped on my glasses and broke them for good. And I realized that I could drive and do a lot of other things without my glasses because I, and even though the all every optometrist I went to uh, over the years had told me, I'm now 48, had told me that there was something, you know, that if I didn't wear my glasses every day, my eyes were going to be worse and just be prepared. You don't think your eyes are getting worse. And none of them could ever find anything worse about my eyes over the 20 years. Uh, and that brings me to our guest today, because I'm going to I'm going to. uh skip over the slightly racist optometrist that I saw <laughs> not that long ago who prescribed glasses and then got angry at me that he filled the prescription wrong. Uh, but our guest heretic today is Dr. Sam Byrne. He is a holistic optometrist, and he's also the author of Creating Your Personal Vision, A Mind-Body Guide for Better Eyesight. Welcome to the show, Dr. Byrne. Thank you, Adrian. It's great to visit with you. Oh, thank you. And and I was telling him before we got started that he's been like a white whale where I've been, I'm like Captain Ahab trying to get him on the show. And he was just so busy because he's helping so many people. And I'm like, I got to talk to this guy because there is another way. And talk to us a little bit about what it means to be a holistic optometrist. What it means is that... Uh, I believe that the eyes are an interrelated, interconnected part of the body and that our eye health is related to our systemic and metabolic and nutritional health and that we have the ability at any age, any age, even when we become an elder, that we can reverse eye problems. And the standard approach, as you know, is that our eyes are only going to get worse as we age. And, you know, there's the saying that when you turn 40, you need bifocals, 50, you need trifocals, uh, 60, you're going to get cataracts, and 70, you're going to get macular degeneration. And that's kind of what's, you know, presented at a regular eye doctor's office. But in my world, because I've studied things like Chinese medicine and um, craniosacral therapy and nutrition, that I've actually seen people improve their vision and reverse things like cataracts, glaucoma, macular degeneration just by eating better. So um, I got sold very early on in my optometry uh, career, and uh, that's my mission. Well, thank you for saying that, because my last eye doctor appointment, before he got mad at me for telling him that he filled the prescription wrong, uh, he kept saying to me, uh, he kept talking about how mature I am <laughs> and how, as you, you know, you have to face it, you're mature. And then I have another friend pestering me to get the surgery. And I'm like, I don't, she's like, I got the surgery, just get it. And I'm saying, no, I'm not, you know, it's uh, to me getting eye surgery unnecessarily is sort of like plastic surgery where it's like it could turn out okay but it could turn out really bad and i only get the one set of eyes so <laughs> like really not totally sold out on the eye surgeries you know our prescriptions that we that we get from the eye doctor are basically basically an adaptation that we make to the world and um so it's a, it's a compensation that our eyes are making. So in nearsightedness, what we do is we pull the world in mm -hmm. as 
to make sense of it. In farsightedness, we push the world away from ourselves. And in astigmatism, we twist the world. So we want to blame faulty vision on a deteriorating eyeball, but it's not the eyeball that's the problem. It's the programming it's what our brain is telling our eyes that causes the eye structure to change. So when you get, let's say, LASIK surgery, it changes the refraction in the eyeball, but the programming is still there. Mm-hmm. And so the eye is going to revert back to the prescription before the surgery. So the surgery doesn't work long term. It's a real slippery slope. You know, the best surgery would be cataracts if you have to get it. Right. But a lot of the eye surgeries that are done actually create a lot of secondary problems that uh, you don't want to go down that road if you can avoid it. And that's where I come in because I offer a lot of really great uh, tools to help people improve their vision. Wow. And you know, I'm so glad that you said that too, because did you ever see the movie Ray? Oh, yes. Okay. And I watched that and you remember his little brother, he watched his little brother drown in a bucket, in a wash bucket. And it was maybe a year later that he goes blind. And when I watched that, I thought to myself, because the, the way they portrayed in the film, he stands there and he's, you know, he doesn't know what to do. He's paralyzed when he sees this happen to his brother. And I kind of wondered if there was, if there was a possibility of a relationship between, you know, I saw something and I didn't do something about it. Maybe I don't deserve, you know, the benefit of eyesight or somehow a psychological trigger to not see what's happening. Is that at all possible that people, you know, when you talk about pushing the world out or, or, or drawing it in with your eyesight, is that at all possible that people can almost dictate their eyesight? Yeah, we know that the mind and our thinking is so strong and it can change the structure of our body based on our emotions and our psychological experiences. So, you know, over the years, people have worked with me in the process called vision therapy, which is a physical therapy to re-educate how the eyes and the brain and the body work together. And sometimes a person will, will remember a certain time in their life when they got their first prescription and they have some kind of an emotional release or psychological epiphany and they can immediately read the eye chart again. Right. So the question, you know, it's the, the eyes are the window into the soul and there's a psycho-emotional component to our vision that, um, you know, that we have to acknowledge. And if we do that, a lot of times our eyesight can, can revert back to being normal without the need of glasses or contacts. Right. And, I, and you know, yes, I, I often ponder whether or not some of these eye, you know, issues, like, for example, let's say nearsightedness, is that we're, we are trying to push the world out. We can't process it and we it's almost like we need to focus our energy inward um to to cope with the world and it's so a I, defense strategy we basically pull our our visual world in to, to make sense of it because it's so chaotic out there exactly and, and you know it's interesting when you go to a regular eye doctor and i was trained this way so you know i have compassion for these folks and I, you know, I try to bridge with them. But you go to the doctor and you're in the chair and it's a dark room and he or she is flipping the lenses really quickly, which is clear. One or two, one or two. And you choose number two. Well, let's say you're having a bad day. So you're stressed out. You get this lens and you wear it. 
and it makes you dizzy or nauseous and you go back to the doctor and say, hey, this is making me nauseous. And the doctor says, don't worry, you'll get used to it. No, thank you. I don't want to get used to suppressing nausea because this prescription is too strong. And a lot of people go through that, uh, you know, experience. You know, I did a workshop up in Vancouver a few months ago, and the last day of the workshop, we went around the room and everybody was able to process their last experience with their eye doctor. And we made a list. And so some people were saying, you know, I don't want to fit myself into the doctor's narrow point of view or the doctor isn't listening to me, or, you know, the doctor thinks eye exercises don't work. So there's this whole list of things that people have to process when they go to a regular eye doctor. It's like they're angry. They're frustrated. They're not being met. And it's too bad. I mean, there's so many people that could be benefited by what I'm promoting. And yet there's a very small percentage of us out there that are promoting holistic health. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to, well, when it comes to anything in the body, but I think particularly with the eyes, like you said, it, for so many optometrists themselves, uh, they're not, they're not, if they see the miracles, they're chalking it up to coincidence. Or when I say miracles, you know, the things that they, uh, have kind of railed against over the years and they've been tell, you know, discouraging people away from those, uh, exercises and therapies. Well, you know, in my own case, I was eight years old. I actually had a learning problem and was diagnosed with a learning disability. My mom took me everywhere and I ended up at an ophthalmologist's office and I got a pair of nearsighted glasses, didn't really address my learning problem. And every year I got a stronger and stronger prescription. And when I was in my early 30s, I met a holistic eye doctor and I went to him for about two years and I completely dissolved my nearsighted prescription. Mm-hmm. But But two things happened. Number one, I realized that there was a really strong emotional component to my nearsightedness. It was a tension in my eyes. And number two, I had a diagnosis called convergence insufficiency where my two eyes didn't work together. Well, after repairing that in the eye therapy, I mean, my reading and learning skyrocketed. And I said, man, I want to go into this. And so I helped lots of kids over the years with the same learning problems. And then it kind of morphed into things like autism and ADHD, because some of those kids have undetected vision problems that, you know, they see the eye chart at 20 feet just fine, but they have problems using their eyes together like I did. Mm -hmm. So you don't get the testing, you know, you just you just go into the special education classes, and you know, it's lost. And so the idea is, that we want to recognize that our eyes are so interrelated to our brain. In fetal development, the eyes actually come from brain tissue. So mm-hmm. when we, the eyes, we're working with an extension of the brain. So what we eat, how we think, how we move, what our posture is, you know, all of those things go into kind of developing how our visual system is processing information. Wow. Yeah. And um, I had something similar w- with my eye, you know, kind of. I, I kind of <laughs> think of it as a metaphor for the fact that I'm always looking out there. I'm always, you know, interested in what's going on around me. Uh, so as a child, I was actually farsighted when all of my other friends were, were nearsighted. And, and I think part of that is because I always want to know what's on the other side of the fence like a goat. Um, so do you make a distinction between vision and eyesight? 
course, yes. Yeah. So eyesight is a static measurement where you're sitting in a room and you're looking at 20 feet. And the measurement is called 2020, which is seeing a one-third one third inch letter at 20 feet. That's eyesight. Mm-hmm. Vision is how the eyes and the brain and the body work together. <clears throat> so eyesight is one aspect of vision. But in most eye exams, they check for eyesight and eye health and they stop there. Right, right. But they but they use the word vision interchangeably. It's actually incorrect because vision is a dynamic set of skills that are learned and developed. And actually, you start developing them very early in life as an infant, as a toddler, because mm-hmm. movement starts stimulating things like your peripheral vision, your eye tracking, your fixation, your eye contact. So if you don't move or your posture's off, or let's say you've had a birth trauma, as an example, a lot of times that stops your visual development. And this creates problems later on in learning to read, reading to learn, processing information. So there's a whole developmental spin in what vision really is. It's I say that vision is more than an eyeball experience. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, so what are some of our biggest threats to vision right now in in the modern age maybe for example we know screen time um as i stare into my screen uh we know that screen time uh has has an impact but what are some of the other things like when i talked about fluorescent lights overhead um are those impacting us negatively in any way you know there's been some great research done over the years with children who sit all day in the classroom under fluorescent lights and they have much more hyperactivity their immune systems are lowered, so they have more sickness, and they have more dental problems. Mm. So, you know, we could talk about the benefits of light and being in the sunlight. Uh, probably the biggest thing going on right now in terms of eye disease is the number one cause of blindness is macular degeneration. And the macula is the center part of the retina where we see detail and color vision, and more and more people are developing macular degeneration because it's due to oxidative stress and inflammation and toxicities. And so the digital devices also throw off something called blue light, and that white light actually accelerates the deterioration of the macula. So antioxidants, lutein, zeaxanthin, Beta carotene, you know, all the things that you you talk about, fish oil and, you know, the amino acids, taurine and then bilberry. We need to make sure not only are we eating them, but are we digesting them? Because I've seen a connection between our intestinal health and our eye health. That makes sense. So if we are, we're not absorbing our food. So I've talked a lot about the eye microbiome. I actually wrote an article in Mind Body Green where I talked about that the eyes have their own microbiome mm. and that you know, contact lens wearers and people that are on digital devices have a lowered ocular microbiome. So they're going to be more susceptible to inflammation and eye disease and dry eye. And what can you do to boost the ocular microbiome? Of course, we know what we can do in our intestinal health, but what can we do in terms of our eye health in that way? So macular degeneration is number one. Number two is cataracts. More and more people are developing cataracts. That's a problem with metabolic waste that accumulates in the lens of the eye. Mm. 
And, you know, that has secondary uh, issues with the possibility of not processing, you know, our sugars very well or eating too much sugar, you know, too many carbs and sugars and gluten, those things kind of exacerbate cataract formation. And then the third condition is dry eye syndrome where people's corneas are drying out and that's an endocrine system issue uh, and also an environmental toxic issue. And then of course we've got glaucoma and we've got all these eye diseases. Uh, and those are probably the ones that are most uh, prevalent, the things that I'm getting back in when I'm communicating with people all over the world. Right, right. And you know, when, like, for example, let's just take the screen and the light, uh, because I know that I generally see and feel better when I go down, you know, I go outside and I just, I see the the sun, you know, that's one of the reasons why I moved to Hawaii, because I lived in New Jersey where it's winter 10 months of the year and, or, you know, cloudy. So when I go out and I'm down at the beach or just, you know, out on my lanai and I'm looking at the sun, my eyes feel so much better better and so much healthier and i feel like i can see so much farther uh is that wishful thinking on my part or <laughs> or or is there something to um sunlight that generates better vision uh specifically the, the spectrum of sunlight well the first statement i would make is that light is a food and our eyes are one of the major portals where we get the light into our eyes. And there's a pathway that takes the light and activates the pineal gland, the pituitary, the hypothalamus. So we are like plants. We're heliotropic. We go towards the light. And yes, light is a very important nutrient for the body. Many years ago, when I was in practice in the Northeast, um, I learned a, a process called treating people with light therapy. So giving them different colors of light that they would look at in these light machines that I, that I used actually improved their peripheral vision, depth perception, their learning, their mood. We also know from many research studies of something called seasonal affective disorder, exactly. which you're referring to. Exactly. And so, you know, when you live in Hawaii or, you know, more towards the equator, you don't have to really think about it. But it is really important that you get at least 30 minutes of natural light every day because it resets the, the pineal and the circadian rhythms. So when we're on our digital devices after six or seven at night, the blue light from that actually shuts down the melatonin. And it creates a regularity in our sleep cycle. This is why I promote something called blue blocker lenses, which actually block the blue light so that it doesn't suppress the melatonin and it also protects our macula. So keep getting that light. It's really important. Now, there's definitely, you know, the, the moderation of it. So especially in Hawaii, because I spend a lot of time in Hawaii, you can wear good sunglasses that block the UVA and UVB. Go out before the light gets, you know, too high in the sky in, you know, sunrise, sunset. Those are safer times to, to get the light. But um, I'm a real promoter of light into the eyes and into the body as part of our health. There's something called malillumination, like malnutrition. This was coined by somebody called John Ott, who was an inventor and he worked a lot with photography. He coined this term. So if we don't get enough light in our, in our eyes, then we have something called malillumination, like malnutrition. 
So, um, yeah, light is a very important nutrient for our vision. Yeah, it's it's interesting what you say about, um, you know, the circadian rhythms, too, because this is something I learned when my daughter was little. And uh, there were days where we just couldn't get out of the house, you know, because between the meals and the diapers, it's just, you know, you have like 10 minutes to, to go outside, if that. And a lot of times it was uh, dark. But I was at a I passed by a yard sale and this woman was selling a full spectrum lamp. And on those days in particular, what I found out was that when we would read in the evening by that full spectrum light, we would all sleep better. Yes. Of As a, yeah. And, and it really, even, even though it was being, that light was being taken in at night, uh, she would go to sleep without a fuss. I would sleep through the night. It just, it made a world of difference. There's no question uh, that, that, uh, you know, one of the issues, there have been studies that have been done that people work the night shift, you know, like nurses and yes. workers, they have a lowered immune system. They even have a higher risk for things like cancer. So that, you know, the light is so important in our resetting our body. And yet there is that conversation out there that we need to be afraid of the light. I was just about to bring that up, too. (laughs) And, um, you know, there is certainly fair skinned people and people that are more susceptible to skin cancer and things like that. Okay, you protect yourself. I'm very moderate in that. But I'm also here to say we need every day a dosage of natural light. Get out there. Even if you close your eyes and point your face to the sun, there's an exercise called sunning that I have on my website where you just your eyes are closed and you're just rocking your head very slowly back and forth, taking the rays in. So even though your eyes are closed, the eye the eyelids are allowing some of the light into your eyes. That's a wonderful relaxation exercise. Right. Now, you know, related to sunlight, because you're like like you said, we're being told to stay out of the light and, you know, the, the skin cancer and so on. Is there any effect of the sunscreens? How, like, in other words, like the way that the body itself would normally take in the sunlight, is there anything that the sunscreen is doing to interfere with that on the eye level? Oh, well, that's a, that's a really good question. I think indirectly it is. You know, it's interesting. Uh, one, of the, um, one of the modalities I, I use is essential oils. And in aromatherapy, when people start using essential oils, a lot of times toxicities get pushed out through the skin. And the skin is kind of one of the the dumping grounds for toxicity in the body. Now, when you're talking about sunscreen and it interacts with your chemistry of the body, a lot of times it's actually exacerbating or stimulating more of a toxicity response. So you really need to be careful about what you're putting on your skin as what you think a protective mechanism is. And since, you know, in Chinese medicine, we know that the liver and the eyes go together, the liver actually rules the eyes in acupuncture, that uh, a lot of times if we have heavy metal toxicity, it affects the eyes and it also will start showing up in the skin if we do some kind of a detoxification uh, process. So, you know, you have to really educate yourself about what you are putting on the skin because a lot of those sunscreens have, uh, have worse things in it 
that just kind of make the problem worse. Right. Uh, and you actually just stole the words out of my mouth because I was going to ask you about liver stagnation and and vision. Uh, and, you know, things that people can do to support the liver and obviously avoiding unnecessary toxins. Well, yes. I mean, I just did a, a video on my Facebook page on dental health and eye health. And I talked a lot about even things like mercury amalgams or root canals, um, you know, periodontal disease. Any kind of inflammation or infection in the mouth is going to affect the eyes. So you've got both the infection inflammatory issue and then the mercury in your mouth. Um, all of those things are going to contribute to reducing your eye health, creating more oxidative stress in the retina. You know, the retina has one of the highest metabolic needs of the body. And the macula has the highest metabolic need of the retina. And a lot of the eye problems that I'm seeing today are because of oxidative stress. We don't have enough energy on a cellular level to push the metabolic waste away from those sensitive areas like the cornea, the lens, and the macula. Even things like floaters is another one where people are saying, geez, my floaters are getting worse. And a lot of times it's connected to both oxidative stress, inflammation, and uh, toxicities that are accumulating in the eyes. Mm, right. How does um, – you made me think of in, in another life, and I guess I still sometimes do it. I dance, <laughs> and, I, um, and often I spin, and often I get really, really dizzy. Uh, I always attributed that to a kidney fluid balance issue because I am known to be prone to that. Uh, in, in your opinion, how does, you know, do the kidneys play a role maybe is, is the, the best way to say that? The kidney lung meridian um, really affects our lymph system for mm -hmm. sure. Um, but there's another thing that I'll just, you know, uh, say in terms of what the possibility is, and that is that in the brain, we have something in the inner ear called the vestibular system. And the vestibular system and the visual system are married. They work together. They work off each other in terms of movement and balance. I learned this many years ago. I was actually trying to start my practice. Couldn't get any patients because I was in I was in Philadelphia. That's where I started my first practice, and I was surrounded by all these allopathic eye practices. So I went to one of the local hospitals and I said to the physiatrist, "I have this physical therapy that I think could help your trauma patients, the trauma brain trauma." And he said, "Sure, come on in." And within three months, I was getting really really great results with these folks, and they all had problems with balance double vision, memory issues. And I made the connection at that point between the vestibular system and the visual system. So one of the ways you can test your vestibular system is with your eyes closed, see how long you can balance on one foot. And that will tell you if you fall over within 10 seconds, you are over visually stimulated in your balancing and under stimulated in your vestibular piece. So you start practicing with balancing with eyes closed to bring the vestibular visual into balance. And when you spin like you're doing, you are really activating that vestibular system and the fluid in the inner ear. I also think it's affecting, yes, kidney, lung, lymph system as well. But I think the conversation of bringing the vestibular into this 
is important for people, especially if they've had any kind of head trauma, uh, car accidents, or they've fallen. That's why many years ago, I went back to massage school and I became a craniosacral therapist because I saw the connection of how the bones in the head move and how we see how our eyes focus. So as I began doing craniosacral on people, I found their eyesight got better. So there was that connection of the eye-brain, but I was working through the more neuromuscular or the structural part. And so for most craniosacral people, like acupuncturists, they don't realize how much the eyes are involved in that process. So I see I'm a bridge. I bridge to all these different professions, you know, all of Feldenkrais, Alexander Technique, Yoga. Uh, what I do, Continuum, which is a movement therapy, uh, to bridge and educate all of these folks that there is a holistic part to our visual system. And here it is. Use it. Right, right. Yeah. And I wish I used to live in Trenton. So and spend a lot of time in Philly. And I wish I knew you back in the day. Uh, and because uh, I would have been like the first online uh, to to uh, visit with you because um, I was involved in a car accident. Uh, the, the, the spinning dizziness preceded uh that but still uh went to a lot of craniosacral uh feldenkrais acupuncture um chiropractic and you know 50 grand later still in the same place <laughs> just really didn't do no, none of the people that i worked with were familiar enough with the breadth of what was going on and so were really just falling into that trap of seeing each system independently. You know, I I just want to uh, give a shout out to all my mentors because I, I was in I was very early in my career and all these doctors were in their seventies and they wanted to teach me these methods and you know one of the biggest things that I learned from them is that we need to treat the whole person and so when somebody comes to you and this is what I teach with when I do trainings for other doctors is how can we look at the macro and then within the macro how can we plug in with these different things because you're right there's a specialist you go to the specialist and it's fragmented it's just we're going to do this tiny bit here tiny bit there and I actually one of my nicknames is called whole health that I'm a whole health optometrist and more of a naturopathic doctor where the eyes are part of the whole person and i think that that's sometimes what's missing in some of the medical treatments i mean i've heard this story that you're sharing oh thousands of times mm-hmm. and it's too bad because if you stay in your just your your canyon of specialty then you're not seeing the whole person and it's not going to stick it's not going to hold You know, one of the things that I learned many years ago, and you'll so relate to this, is that it really starts with what's going on with our dietary absorption, what's happening on a cellular level. Because if we don't have the energy to absorb what we're doing, you can give a person the fanciest therapy in the world, but if they have a nutrition imbalance and they're not absorbing their foods and their nutrients, then they're not available to make the changes we're asking them to make. So I always start there. You know, what do you eat? What's your diet? What's your digestion like? We kind of put it together and try to help that first before we start any therapies. And I'm sure you have a lot to say about nutrition. 
I, it's number one on my list that we need to work on that initially before we start doing all these other things. And I'm so glad that you say that because I feel like if you're not putting the right fuel in, it doesn't matter what the, you know, the rest of it. It's, it's like changing the tire on your car, but the problems with the transmission, you know, it's not going to, it's not really, uh, it, it doesn't really make sense. Well, I tell you, on Facebook, the the biggest uh, views I get are about diet soda, sugar, fast <laughs> food, you know, obesity, diabetes, um, high blood pressure and heart disease. I mean, these are the issues that people are dealing with. And we're not talking about, you know, really changing our diet and eating more plant-based and, you know, non-GMO and getting away from even the, the plant killer, the, the you know, that, that glyphosate. Yeah. Yeah, that, that creates that inflammatory response. So, yeah, I mean, I think you and I are, are beating the same drum and more of the doctors in functional medicine are speaking that way. And this is where we need to go, in my opinion. You know, I gave a workshop a few years ago to a group of doctors. And at the beginning of the workshop, I said to them, there are 200 of them in the room. And I said, how many here take vitamins? And they all raised their hands. How many here recommend vitamins for their patients? Nobody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I said to the group, why aren't you learning about these recommendations? And the flatline, you know, the, the main thing that doctors are doing in the eye care thing is they're they're saying, we're going to watch the condition. Really? You're going to watch it? Won't you want to do something proactive? Like yeah. here, you know, just eat more spinach and kale and Brussels sprouts and broccoli, something. But, you know, there's just a disconnect in terms of uh, the eyes and nutrition that, again, it's another it's another promotion that I'm really advocating because food can be our medicine, you know, and with the, the state of health care, it's disease care. It's not health care. What can we do to take our health back? And, you know, I think learning how to eat differently and uh, being more of an advocate about, look, I want organic food. I want non-GMO. I want to do plant based, you know, those kinds of things that you and I probably agree upon. And in Hawaii, I know like going to those farmer's markets, it's awesome, you know? So, I mean, here you go. Let's just talk about nutrition for a while. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, un unfortunately, when it comes to nutrition, everybody eats. So everybody thinks they know. And I always say you have to know a lot about a topic before you realize how much you don't know. Because, uh, you know, you can if you've never studied, if, if the most research you've done into nutrition is, um, you know, reading the Internet or or just the free magazines at the health food store, uh, you're not necessarily getting the the entire scope of of possibility. Uh, before I'm going to have to let you go soon, but before we go, I do want I have a listener who just sent me this uh, last night, I believe it was, or the day before yesterday, and he is well. I'll read it to you. I've been having problems with my eyesight for some time, but wrongly thought this was due to some minor brain damage, which I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, things took a turn for the worse this week, and 
I have now been diagnosed with glaucoma in both eyes. I have already lost 30% in my left eye. They have put me on eye drops to lower pressure in my eyes. Is there anything else you can suggest I do? Okay. Yes, of course. So uh, glaucoma, the key in glaucoma, basically what glaucoma is, is the pressure inside the eyes start to go up. So the, the eyes have this really intricate circulation system where nutrients are pumped in and out of the eye through a meshwork. And what happens in glaucoma is somewhere along the line that meshwork gets clogged up, the pressure starts to, to rise up. And the biggest thing that he can do is really start amping up his omega-3 fish oil, especially the DHA part of it, because there's studies out there that show that as you increase your DHA, that's the part of the omega-3 that actually increases or grows the brain. Mm -hmm. And so protecting the optic nerve with more fats, good fats, you know, coconut oil, maybe MCT oil, um, nuts and seeds. I would probably reduce carbs, uh, no sugar, reduce gluten. Um, I might consider things like craniosacral therapy. You know, there's actually something called the rebounder where you can jump mm -hmm. gently on the re That actually can bring your high pressure uh, down. Huh. So b by extension of that, sorry to cut you off, would something like, uh, although I, I'm not a, a huge fan of running, uh, would something like that or other kinds of exercise of recreate something similar to a rebounding experience if they don't have it he's out there that you know getting 20 to 30 minutes of aerobic exercise you know whatever i don't know the state of his joints and you know his neuro it could be walking it could be swimming but the aerobic exercise yes would be very important um and of course you know getting a really good eye nutrient with lutein zeaxanthin beta carotene taurine is a really important amino acid and antioxidant for the optic nerve Bilberry is a very important herbal formula that brings more retinal circulation to the eyes. Uh, color therapy can sometimes help expand the peripheral vision. Eye exercises uh, are also can reduce the stress and open up the circulation. So I would have him get in, in, into my community, Dr. Sandburn Facebook. I'm actually doing a free webinar next Saturday that you know he could plug into and start getting information i've done so many videos and some on glaucoma that uh, that could benefit him you know one of the things i've realized about glaucoma is sometimes it's it starts in the brain is it actually is a constriction in the brain but we're seeing reflected in the eyes so right. that's interesting that he had that issue with it. And the other piece about glaucoma that I've seen is that can it can mask as having neurotoxicities. Mm. So that if you do the hawks, a lot of times the nerve will get better, the peripheral vision will get better. So working with a naturopath and saying, do I have any neurotoxicities? Does he have mercury in his in his mouth? Or has he been exposed to toxicities? So these are all things that show up as glaucoma because the eye drops are treating a symptom. There's lots of side effects to it. Uh, and then they want to do iridectomies and those procedures, which can cause secondary glaucoma and, and other things. You don't want to go down that road. So I would have them jump on my bandwagon, start, you know, plugging into what I'm promoting because there's so many things that he could do at the very least to slow it down and neutralize the, the deterioration. 
Right, right. That's that's fantastic. Um, you know, I did. I was doing a little bit of research, and one of the books that I I uh, picked up was uh, I, I I go on these uh, explorations into into the old time nutritionists, and so I was reading Adele Davis, and she she was pretty amazing because she had a a, a therapy for pretty much everything that we think is new today, or you know. For example, you know, can't be uh, fixed. And one of the things she was saying about glaucoma is uh, the stress relationship. Uh, and that for a lot of people, when they have glaucoma, they may even go into temporary blindness when they get put under extreme stress. But so a lot of her protocol and she and she claimed at the time, this is, you know, we're looking back in like the 1960s, uh, that she had never had a patient not turn around by essentially supporting the, the adrenals uh, with things like uh, brewer's yeast, liver, uh, eliminating coffee. You talked about the sugars. Uh, is there any validity to that? Of course. Of course there's validity because, you know, the eyes and the brain are so sensitive to what we eat. And again, the more plant-based natural foods that we eat – that's going to help us. And, you know, when you talk about stress, what happens in our visual system when we get under stress, we start tunneling. We start narrowing. That's what nearsightedness is. We are excluding our periphery because we're in a fight or flight freeze response in a hypervigilance. And so what we need to do is some stress reduction activities, exercises, and what will happen is our peripheral vision opens way up. So, of course, the parasympathetic nervous system is not activating. We're in this stress response. Our cortisol is off the charts. You know, again, the eyes are reflecting. When we have an eye problem, it's reflecting some imbalance in systemic and metabolic and nutritional health. Right, right. And I, for some reason, I just made the connection between the liver she's so, so recommending and the liver, uh, because we we touched on the Chinese concept of uh, liver stagnation. And in Chinese medicine, uh, you or Ch- Chinese dietetics, you would eat liver to support your liver. That that would be your primary, uh, like most rapid, according to my teacher uh, back in New York, it would have been the most rapid response to get for your eyes or, you know, for liver health would be to actually eat the liver of another animal. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert in that. So I, I, I'm going to kind of recuse myself in that, (laughs) but I I do, but I do think that again, some system, whether it's the acupuncture system, Ayurveda is another system, you know, find somebody who's more whole body who can, you know, help you guide you, you know, there's the ketogenic diet, there's the paleo diet, there's the Mediterranean style diet. So it's just where you plug in. And um, But I definitely think what you eat is going to affect your eye health profoundly. Okay, well, I hope I hope you hear that, Chris. <laughs> and so um, I'm going to have to let you go because I know that you're busy. You've got uh, patients and you said you're preparing for a webinar uh, next Saturday. That is the 15th? think it's the uh i think it's the 16 okay yes um, if you go to my facebook page dr sam burn it's right at the top so you can uh, sign in it's free i'm also going to be doing a facebook q a after which is free as well 
um, and it'll be recorded. So if you can't make it, uh, that's okay. You can you can plug into it. And um, my website is drsamburn.com, and you know get 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 in with my community, and I'm happy to share all that I know. And I so appreciate your time and your invitation and i want to come and see you next time i'm in hawaii yeah you're like literally i as a matter of fact i had just i I lived a block away from where you were uh where where you were um but uh, let me just let everybody know that dr sam byrne is spelled d-r-s-a-m-b-e-r-n-e dot com say hi to all the whales and dolphins i know it's a very active time there and uh, enjoy it's it's a great great place to be yeah well i would like i said i would love to have you down and um hopefully i'll i will have regenerated my garden by the time you come down again my property is is desert uh but i've got goats out there doing some work and chickens doing some work (laughs) so we'll hopefully we'll turn it around and it'll be a little sanctuary oh great beautiful all right well thank you so much for your time i know you're busy and i will let you go Okay, Adrian. Okay, till the next time. Aloha. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean. And our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher.